When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Penn State Blitz podcast is back. I'm Bob Flounders, remotely joined by Greg Pickle. I was off last week. Greg Pickle and I have a lot to get to. We're going to talk about Penn State's season, when it may actually start as we get closer to June. Some states are starting to reopen. Some students are coming back to campus at various places across the country. Take a look at what Penn State President Eric Barron and Penn State might be planning to do. It's still early. We're going to look at Penn State's wide receiver picture. New wideouts coach Taylor Stubblefield, Greg, is got a lot of intriguing prospects to break in to go with, you know, Jahan Dotson, but no, no one is guaranteed a starting spot. We'll talk about wideouts. Also, recruiting news, Penn State's in the running for a four-star tight end that's going to make his decision, I think, within the next week or so. And also, there is a JUCO corner that Penn State would love to get, who's going to visit Penn State in late September. Greg and I will talk about Penn State's chances for him. All of that coming up on this edition of the Penn State Blitz podcast. Okay, Greg, good to good to chat with you again, even though it's remotely. I was off last week. We're almost heading into Memorial Day weekend. Crazy to think about that, Greg. Hope you're doing well. Hope all is doing well. And I just wanted to get your thoughts on maybe when you think As we get closer to June, Greg, we talked about it. It seems like either the Big Ten or some of the Big Ten schools need to start making kind of some determinations of maybe when and how some of these Penn State players uh, may get back on campus. I think we heard a little bit from Penn State President Eric Barron with regard to maybe Penn State students overall. But as we talk about this, what's your read on the situation involving Penn State players maybe getting back on campus and Penn State students maybe get back on campus? Yeah, Bob, good to be back with you. I'm hoping you had a good week off, and uh, obviously there's plenty to get to this week in this edition of the Blitz. So yeah, I think this is a good place to start. Penn State President Eric Barron coming out Monday of this past week and saying that they are operating as if they are going to return to campus uh, in-person instruction for the fall semester. And I think that even though we knew that they were going to be doing that, it still feels, I think, I don't know if comforting is the right word, but it gives you some reassurance that Penn State, like many other universities around the country, is working toward that goal. And look, there's still a lot of things to consider, uh, obviously, as the coronavirus pandemic continues. You know, not all of Pennsylvania is reopened yet into the yellow phase of Tom Wolf's plan to do so, let alone the green phase, which would allow for organized team sports and things like that, larger group gatherings with social distancing, so on and so forth. So feels like a step in the right direction, but I still think within the next month, and probably not even a month, maybe two to three weeks, We'll have more information from Penn State on exactly how they think they can go about doing this. And look, there's a lot of logistical things that go into it. Are you going to have classes uh, that split up and maybe half of a class comes in the morning and half of the class comes in the afternoon? Or are you going to do some classes that can be done online that weren't previously done online in a virtual setting to try and limit the amount of foot traffic that there is on campus and in classrooms? You know, there's a lot of things to figure out. But I thought it was encouraging. The Big Ten obviously seems to one day seem to indicate that 
they are going to have all schools or no schools play. Then the next day you hear, well, maybe if a school or two can't play, we'll just play the rest of it. The non-conference slate is obviously up for discussion, so there's a lot to uh, to still figure out here. But I guess all we can do at this point is wait each and every day to see what new info comes out. And as we get into June here, I do think we'll have some more clarity about not just how the 2020 season could play out, but also how the academic side of things is going to go what states, what schools, what football programs might be able to play and which might not. Yeah, and it's interesting to note, I believe I saw somewhere either on, uh, online or on social media, correct me if I'm wrong, Greg, but I think I might have saw it today, Ohio State's players may be back on campus uh, in early June. Did you see that? I did, yeah. I didn't get to follow up and actually go read what that information was all about, but it almost feels like a domino effect, right? So in a sort of sports-related thing, the Venetian Casino in Las Vegas has claimed that it's going to start accepting reservations and visitors June 1, and it sounds like that will be the first casino in Vegas to do so. And then similarly, it sounds like Ohio State could be the first Big Ten program to have players, student-athletes, students back on campus. We'll have to see if that actually happens. But does it feel to you, Bob, it does to me, like this will be a domino effect, and once one entity, one school, one business, whatever, once one does it and everything goes okay, then I think we'll see a bunch of places start returning students to campus in pretty quick fashion or to businesses and things of that nature. Yeah, it could be a domino effect, but I also think that ultimately, that I think one of the reasons Ohio State might be a little bit closer to normalcy, at least perceived normalcy, is that uh, they've reopened the state. I think a lot will depend on maybe the, the governors from respective states and what, what they're kind of trying to work to do in coordination with maybe some universities. They're probably going to need the permission of uh, Governor Wolf before they can actually uh, put some of these things in place. You don't know. It's, it's crazy. But I, I do think that in June, you're going to see some movement one way or the other. And we'll, we'll see where Penn State is in relation to the other schools in the Big Ten. I know, I know the players. And the coaching staff want to get back to it. But James Franklin has preached, you know, science and flexibility almost from the start of this. And I think he will, he's going to stick to his gun. So we'll see what, we'll see how it plays out, Greg. Uh, When they do get back on campus and when Penn State is practicing, I think one position group to watch is the Penn State wideouts group. New wide receivers coach again, like the fourth time in four years or the third time in four years, something like that. Taylor Stubblefield's the guy. Talked with him a few weeks back. It's the one unknown, I think, on the Penn State offense, other than Jahan Dotson. They need two, at least two or three guys to step up. There's a lot of guys that are talented. They wouldn't be on the team. James Franklin would not have given them a scholarship if they weren't talented athletes. But who are some of the guys that really... We talked. I know there was a depth chart. Taylor Stubblefield doesn't really... He tried to put out that fire and say, look, if you're going to go by the depth chart, you're doing it wrong. I think you could see some young receivers make a big step. I think there's a third-year receiver that both of us kind of like, but he's going to have to catch the ball. So just your thoughts on the Penn State wideout picture. Yeah, it's interesting because as we wait for all of the decisions to be made about when uh, and how and why teams will be able to get back to campus, you know, clearly there's a sense that there's some positions that are going to be further ahead than others when that time does come. And I think that One obvious thing to to keep an eye on here is what will happen when the receivers and the quarterbacks and the running backs and the offensive linemen not only get to finally work with each other again, and in the case of uh, Taylor Stubblefield and Phil Troutline work with first-time position coaches, but 
What will happen when Kirk Scirocco gets to put his offense into action for the first time? Who's going to step up to the plate? Who learned the playbook the best while everything was going on in a virtual setting? Who understands the way to make that offense sing? And I think that one thing we learned about Kirk Scirocco from being in Minneapolis for the Minnesota game is that this offense, and you could see it on TV too in the bowl game and, in, and almost any other Minnesota game you watched, is that, Bob, if it's not precise and if it's not followed, really to the tune of uh, Kirk Scirocco's song, so to speak, then hey, it's not going to work. I mean, it's based on precision timing, being in the right place at the right time, having the ball delivered when it is supposed to be. I mean, everything kind of goes in sync. And I know that sounds sort of cliche because every offense is like that to a degree, but I think this one might even take a step further uh, than most in that regard. So um, in terms of the receiver pitcher, I think obviously we expect Dotson to do big things, but you know, is Daniel George finally set for a breakout? We saw some times last year where it looked like that could be the case, some times last year where it looked like that wasn't going to be the case. So this is a big year for him. I'm fascinated then by John Dunmore and TJ Jones. We've talked about those guys a lot. And then you have Keandre Lambert, one of the freshmen, I think, who is a guy that we would have really been impressed with if spring practice happened, if we would have been able to see these guys go through drills. So you have him in the mix, too. And ultimately, I think you have to have confidence in when practices start again, when drills start again, as the season gets closer, etc. We'll have a darn good feel for where things stand with that group, how it all is going to play out, and who is going to take the lead step. Okay, we got some recruiting news coming up, a lot of it in the uh, second half, the Penn State Blitz. But before we do that, Greg, why don't you pass along to all our avid listeners and viewers some of the things they can do to kind of enhance the Penn State Blitz videos and the Penn State Blitz podcast. Yeah, so the Penn Live Penn State Blitz podcast publishes every Thursday morning on PennLive.com. If you subscribe to the podcast, though, you can usually get it a little bit early. Remember, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, that's where you can go to find the latest episodes. Last week, we were joined by Dave Jones. This week, of course, Bob and I are back per the usual. Don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe when you're on those pages. Give us some feedback. Let us know what you think of the episodes and how things are going. Also, tell us what topics you want us to talk about as we head towards the summer months here. So the YouTube version of this, the Penn State Blitz, that's how we started. That's how we uh, continue to do it. Those are at PennLive.com as well, and also YouTube.com slash State. So we're going to roll forward here with the Penn State Blitz podcast, Bob Flounders and Greg Pickle. There's going to be a little mailbag, but there's also going to be some recruiting news as well. Greg, I can't pronounce his name, but he's a four-star tight end. I think that Penn State really likes a lot. I think by the end of the month, he might be making his college choice. What can you tell me about this young man? How good is he? And what would you assess Penn State's chances at, at getting him? Yeah, Oregon, Tennessee, Georgia, and Penn State appear to be the finalists for, and I may pronounce his name wrong too, so I'll apologize in advance, but Maliki Matevo, the four-star tight end out of Nevada. Penn State is, I don't know if they're in the driver's seat here, because I do think Oregon's a school that he likes, that he's visited often, and oh, by the way, has Joe Moorhead recruiting for it, so that plays a role. This is a a kid, a four-star tight end. Penn State does have an ace up its sleeve in Micah Bowens, the class of 2020 Las Vegas, Nevada quarterback signee. I think that helps. No, they don't play at the same school or didn't play at the same school, but obviously there's a familiarity there as two of the top uh, football players in Nevada, even if they are separated by a class. So that will help. But 
you know, Penn State was probably hoping to host him this spring before he makes a decision. Obviously, that, you know, out of the question with everything that's going on. So, you know, even if they lose out on him the first time around, I wouldn't call it the end of the road for the Lions because, again, you're going to have a chance at some point in this calendar year, we assume, to host official visitors. And if he commits somewhere but then maybe decides, hmm, I did want to check Penn State out for a game or for a more up-close and personal look, then he should probably have the opportunity to do so. Again, maybe sometime in the late summer or early fall. So we'll see. He's going to announce May 27. Right now, the 247 Sports Crystal Ball has Oregon as the favorite to land him. So I know our guy listening and recording all this for us, Mark Pines, is probably happy about that. But when all is said and done, I don't think it would be the end of the world if they lost him this time around. And, and conversely, if they do land him, I think they have to be cognizant of the fact that he needs to be recruited like a guy that is committed but also has other options. Because if he picks Penn State and plans to visit Penn State down the road, he could maybe want to look at other schools too. So, I mean, it's just been a weird recruiting run here for the last two and a half, three months. I think there's something like 700 players already committed in the class of 2021, Bob, which is double and getting scarily close to triple the number that were committed in the last cycle at this time. So uh, guys are, I don't know if it's boredom. I don't know if they just feel um, like they have to pick the school they're most comfortable with, and maybe they're not extending the process as much because of that with everything that's happened over the last two and a half, three months. But their commitments are just coming at a rapid pace. This will be the latest one. We'll see how Penn State fares. 12 class of 2020 commitments so far, 10 of which have signed since uh, since the time campus shut down in mid-March. Well, it sounds like Penn State's got his work cut out, Greg, for the four-star tight end, but anything is possible. Um, they've recruited the tight end position awfully well the last couple of years, so we'll see how that plays out. One player, though, that maybe Penn State might have a better shot at is a talented junior college player from Lackawanna, one of uh, the schools in Northeast PA that Penn State's definitely established a pipeline into. What can you tell me about the talented corner who is expected to visit Penn State in late September? I believe it's the Northwestern game. That weekend, September 26th, assuming it comes off. What can you tell me about this player, and how much does Penn State like him? Yeah, I want to correct something I missed said a second ago. Penn State had 10 players verbally commit, not sign, of course. So, Dehan Moore, interesting player. Now, you wrote the story yesterday that the Lackawanna corner, and again, Penn State had such a good run there of late with Norval Black and Jair Brown in the last class. Obviously, uh, you know, Jaquan Brisker's a guy who's been on campus, a former Falcon who is now contributing. Paris Palmer started this run a handful of years ago. I believe he still works for the campus TV station and is around the program. So they have fared well going up to the Scranton area and getting guys. And Warren is the latest, a very talented player who does a little bit of everything. I think he had five blocked kicks, if I'm not mistaken, which is a pretty fascinating number at the junior college level. I think he's a guy who could maybe help you in the return game, maybe uh, obviously play in the secondary. Penn State likes him. Here's the question, Bob. He sets that visit for the fall. It's not the only official visit he's going to take. He wants to decide December 18th, which if I had the calendar in front of me, I'm pretty sure it would say is the early signing day this year, which who knows how that's going to play out. But, you know, all told, the one big question I would have is what will happen if and when he decides he wants to take other visits and be exposed to programs besides Penn State? Will the Lions stay in the driver's seat? I think they will. I think this is a kid they get ultimately at the uh, at the end of the recruiting cycle, whether he decides in December or maybe waits until February, but I don't know if it's going to be as cut and dry as it looks like, or maybe it feels like it should be. I just think that some other schools are going to be able to get in front of him and maybe open his eyes a little bit. 
once visits are allowed again. He's a guy who was expected to take a lot of visits in the spring and the summer here during the official visit window, which of course is now all but wiped out of play. So we'll see. But unless the NCAA changes its schedule in terms of when official visits can be taken, he is going to take all of his in the fall, assuming we have a season to go visit during. And uh, Penn State's going to have a, its work cut out for it to stay at the front of that chase. All right, so we're going to keep our eyes open and our ears to the ground about a four-star tight end that is going to announce shortly from across the country and also a very talented Juco corner from Lackawanna that Penn State has its sights set on, but he's he's expecting to visit in late September. We'll keep an eye on that as well. Greg, before we wrap up this edition, it's almost, it's really Memorial Day weekend edition of the Penn State Blitz. Uh, We got to get to the mailbag. So what do you got? Let's start with this, because you refuse to pronounce Maliki Matevo's name. So this is a little bit off the beaten path, but give me the one Penn State player in the time you've been covering the team whose name you could just never get right. Well, I mean, I got it right late in his career, but I, I did struggle with Amani O, Amani Arawarie. That's, uh, that is about as tough of a name you can really... That, that, that one, there, I know some guys on the beat that never actually got that right. I think Dave Jones got it horribly wrong the whole time that Amani was in state college. That was a tough one for me, but I'd have to think. I got I to gotta go through the mental Rolodex all the way back to 2002. There was a lot of easy ones, but thankfully, it's, I feel like a lot of Penn State's top players, I think, had names that were fairly catchy or fairly easy to remember, but Amani was a tough one for me, and even to this day, I got to kind of really prepare myself to say it, because I don't want to make a bigger fool out of myself than I usually do. What about you, Greg? Is there a name that you struggled with? Yeah, Amani was always tough. Stephen Obang Agapong always tripped me up, and when it comes to spelling, I think I tend to get the I and E mixed up in Pat Fryermuth's name way too often, so that tends to be a problem as well. Wisniewski can be a bit of a stumbling block, too. Yeah, you write those names enough as those guys become more prominent. You say those names enough as they become bigger uh, parts of the offense or the defense, and it certainly uh, certainly helped clears a lot of that stuff up. Okay, moving on from spelling and uh, you know pronunciation issues, you're going to get the chance to talk to Shane Simmons later today. We're recording this on Wednesday. Bob, is he the one player on defense with maybe the most previous fanfare that has the lowest expectations. I hope I phrased that right. But do you think he's a guy who can finally put all the pieces together this year? So he's a fifth-year player that I just remember, a member of the 2016 recruiting class. And I know what you're saying, Greg. A lot of people thought that he was a sure thing. Now, some things have been out, out of Shane Simmons's control. I, I believe that he's dealt with some significant injuries the last couple of years. But for, for him to be entering his final season his fifth-year senior season at Penn State, you look at him, he looks like an NFL defensive end physically. But he doesn't have any production, really, to back that up. Now, you know, Penn State's had some success with players late in their career on the defensive side, but those have been defensive backs. That's been, you know, Troy Apke and Nick Scott, Garrett Taylor. But this is a guy that, coming off his redshirt freshman season in 2017, I thought he was going to make an immediate impact I mean, he's Penn State has had some really talented tight ends probably ahead of him that were just better players. You know, Yitor Gross Matos, you know, comes to mind. Sharif Miller is another one. They got Adisa Isaac. They got Jason Owe. But Shane Simmons physically looks like he can absolutely play a part. You just wonder about maybe 
is his body kind of constructed to withstand the rigors of a full Big Ten season that's on the practice field, that's in the weight room. And, and it's unfortunate, but I, w- I would like to see what he could do, Greg. You know, if he could stay healthy for three months, because I think he could make, I, I think he could make some huge strides. They're looking for some veteran leadership in that room. He is definitely the one player on defense that, if you remember back to what people were thinking about him when Penn State recruited him, he was a guy that we thought we'd probably be talking about him as either already in the NFL draft or just set up for maybe an all Big Ten caliber season. So that's a fair question. I know what you're getting at with him, but I would say that it's it was more a question of Shane being healthy than anything else. Yeah, no doubt about that. All right, last one for you. It's going to throw you for a loop potentially because you weren't on last week to hear about it. But Will Fries talking to the media uh, in the middle of last week had said that two defensive linemen uh, really uh, showed him a lot as younger guys on the scout team, Hakeem Beeman and Smith Vilbert. I thought that was pretty interesting, but I want to flip it, uh, the question to you in terms of the younger yeah. guys on the offensive line. Who are you most interested in seeing how they came out of all this work from home, uh, do your own strength and conditioning stuff, et cetera? And do you think Will Fries' job is really in jeopardy at right tackle as a starter? No, I don't think it's in. Je- I don't think it's in jeopardy. I know that I've heard that he's a veteran. He's played a lot of football. He can play both tackle spots. I know Dwight Gall is really pleased with what he's been able to do physically coming coming out of winter conditioning. Certainly, he was not a bad player. The fact that Penn State liked him all the way back to his true freshman season, I just think it's hard. It's, he's going to play a lot of football. But Des Holmes is like, I just think that Penn State thinks they have three starting tackles, Greg. And I, they view Des Holmes as a starter now. So, I mean, it's nice to be able to, to either take Rashid or Will out of the game, put Des in, and feel like you're not missing much. So, I don't think his job's in jeopardy. I think that he's done a lot at Penn State. I do think there's another level he needs to get to. Um, I thought he struggled a little bit against Chase Young in the Ohio State game, but everyone tr- struggled against Chase Young. I think he's. He's a guy that if he takes a step forward, I think he's got a shot at the next level. But if he's kind of more the same from the last couple of years, he might have a hard time landing on an NFL roster. He's an intriguing guy for this year. As far as the young guys go, Salim Worley, I believe a guard. Not sure where he fits in because they like both uh, the redshirt junior guards, Miranda and CJ Thorpe, Mike Miranda. And Caden Wallace, you've talked about him. I think you like him a lot. Phil Troutline said he could play either guard or tackle he looks like a tackle to me and they have three tackles they already like so maybe what what phil is trying to tell us is that if he wants to see the field greg he's probably going to have to do it at guard where there's more of a depth need i know he was a very coveted recruit in penn state's class i know they wanted to actually play him more last year they couldn't do it i think it's really about caden wallace and and i think maybe there's a wild card greg i know you know where i'm going to go with this if he's healthy, he's going to have to scrape the rust off. Juice Scruggs uh, in the middle of the offensive line. I think he's a third-year player now. Had a back issue, I think, related to a, a car accident. Didn't really do anything last year. Can play center on both guard spots. I would say Juice Scruggs and Caden Wallace are the guys that interest me the, the most. And I'd be surprised if Will Fries has a real fight to keep his job. I just think Penn State thinks they have three starting tackles. All right, Bob, do you have anything for me before we wrap up this week's edition? I don't. I don't have anything for you. I, will, I just want to say uh, I know this is, a little, this is on a little bit more of a personal note, Greg. We had a lot of high hopes for this Memorial Day weekend, maybe back in January. It didn't come to pass. I know you were looking forward to it as well. 
I think we were going to be in Chicago uh, this weekend doing all kinds of fun things. So I just wanted to say here's hoping that maybe a couple months from now, even if it's six months from now or whatever, hopefully we're going to get to revisit Chicago and get back to that original plan because I was really looking forward to it with you and your buddies. We will soon, Bob. Talk to everybody next week.